Five minutes past seven o'clock. You know what time it is. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Amazing show on tap for you tonight as we're following along. Ira, a really early NBA playoff game, uh, 76ers on top of the Celtics right now. About two minutes left to go in the second quarter, uh, 45 to 41. I know you were a little disgruntled when we got here. And we'll, we'll get into all the fun later. Bob Patton coming up in a little bit. NFL draft. We're also going to talk golf, Kentucky Derby. A lot going on in sports right now. This was really annoying to me, Ira. Six o'clock start for an NBA playoff game. This is one of the first times they put the Eastern Conference uh, and the Western Conference together. So that's why they have a game. The Cavaliers game is after this at 8.30. But I don't ever remember an NBA playoff game starting at 6 o'clock. It, Sean, it's one of the things that's weird to me. LeBron James is something that you, you should want to see in primetime always. And they're moving him up to an early game as well. Um, I, I think tomorrow or, or later on in the week. I'm just very confused as to what they're doing. I mean, He's going to go off tonight at 8.30, but there's been a lot of controversy of... Why is the NBA? They're usually good with the scheduling. They're not right now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think it's totally unexplainable, and the NBA hasn't even come out and kind of stated why. You know, I get they want to, you know, put the same um, coast, well, the, the the opposite coast on, maybe the same night, so move it up a little bit. Uh, so the West Coast, you know, we always have the East Coast bias, so a West Coast game comes on, and I mean, we got to stay up till midnight to catch some of the ends of these games. So I can maybe see it there to get more viewership on the East Coast for those West Coast games, showcase some of those teams a little bit more, but, um, you know, it really makes no sense to me when you have great games, even though I know uh, Celtics are up 3-0. I mean, you know, that, that, that's been a terrific series, uh, you know, all games. So um, kind of upsetting that, you know, we don't get to watch that. I can't wait right to now. talk about the game Saturday night because it was just one of the most exciting back-and-forth NBA games I've ever seen in my life. There's a lot more coming up uh, here on Iron Sports. Ira, first and foremost, where you been? Well, I was going to go somewhere Saturday, but I want to tell you something. That Saturday afternoon, that five-hour period was absolutely amazing. Crazy. I did not want to leave, any go anywhere, not be from a TV set. You had the Celtic <laughs> Sixer game, which was amazing. Then right when that game was going on, then you have the Kentucky Derby, and then the, the Capitals-Penguins uh, hockey game, which was very exciting, and then leading into the Cavaliers and LeBron shot against, uh, uh, it's just amazing. Saturday was a day for sports fans, and, and I'm a huge fan the Kentucky Derby. Can't wait to get that get into that in just a second. But Ira, what was your favorite thing from the weekend? Like I said, that Celtic Sixers, uh, you know, that, that, that Saturday night was just, I was glued to my TV watching that. I'm always glued to the Kentucky Derby. What was your highlight from, from this weekend in sports? I would say the highlight would be both both the Cavaliers and the and the Celtic Sixers. Uh, both games were tied. Seeing LeBron hit game winning shots oh. and then certainly and seeing that in that Saturday night game was absolutely amazing. Ira, that, that's a little uh, concerning to me because you're supposed to be a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. <laughs> and this series between the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins has been phenomenal. I mean, you've got some great stats coming up for that, but tonight, uh, tipping off uh, just about two minutes from now, we're going to see potentially the final game of the Penguins season. Um, they're not in this position very often. They've gone to the Stanley Cup Finals two years in a row. So I'm excited to see this. But first and foremost, let's get into the Derby, guys, because I want to talk a little bit about what happened on Saturday. And we get into our Kentucky Derby swing. The big three is here. I love this time of year. Preakness is two weeks from today. Then the Belmont will be three weeks after that. Ira, your good buddy Mikey of her own came on the show before the Florida Derby. Six weeks ago. Before the Florida Derby. Yes. And he said, watch out for this horse justified. And he was right. Uh, it didn't pay a ton. But for him to be able to spot that so far out is absolutely <coughs> amazing, Ira. The horse had only run one race before that. Yeah, one actually one run two races. One before. win, yes. I'm one, sorry. And then, but it was interesting that it ran on February eighteenth in Santa Anita in a seven furlong mm -hmm. race, and then it was one. It's the first horse since eighteen eighty two since Apollo to never run as a two year old horse. It's Apollo's curse, right? And then on March first, it ran. But it's interesting when it won on March first to Santa Anita, it was a muddy track, so it had only run three times. But a lot of these horses don't ever run on muddy tracks. Mm -hmm. That was, so it was used to running. And yep. this this race had the most rain in the history of the Kentucky. Derby. Yep. It, it was disgusting to watch, and, and I like to see a clean race, and it was. A lot of times the Kentucky Derby goes off a little funny. Uh, you know, one of the things about Justify going in, he's running against six-horse fields sometimes at Santa Anita. When you have 20 horses around you, 150,000 people screaming, it's a little bit different. Obviously, this horse might be a superstar. We could talk about Triple Crown in just a second. Sean, did you take in any of the Kentucky Derby, and did you make any money on it? 
Um, I did not. I did not bet, but I did watch it. It was uh, really exciting. You know, the track was um, was definitely sloppy. Uh, you know, as Ira pointed out, I mean, the most rain in the event's history. Um, one thing that I want to point out, just because I saw it and I thought this was like spectacular, and I wish that I bet eighteen dollars and picked <laughs> a Texas woman, right? Not known for her, you know, for for being a, a better uh, place. Eighteen dollars uh, did a pick five and picked every single winner on Saturday and turned $18 into $1.2 million. I thought that was absolutely amazing. It, so it, It's ridiculous the money that can be made, and that's why we, <laughs> Crazy. you know, here on Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel, we've got the insiders like Mike Iavarone coming on and telling you weeks before this race even happens. He doesn't even know the field. He just knows this horse is something special. Before we get into uh, breaking down, is, is, is there a triple, triple crown shot here? Bob Baffert, he said he likes this horse better than American Pharaoh. Of course, you know, owners and trainers are going to hype their horses up, but that horse showed me something, and Sean, you know, we talked about it. In coming into the back stretch, there was never really a doubt. There was one moment where Good Magic made a little bit of a move, but Justify never, ever let yeah, him get back. Yeah, and, we, and like when you saw that, you know, you saw that move, you're like, okay, here we go. Um, and then it was, I swear to God, it was like two seconds. And then Justify like felt him and just and just took yep. off. I mean, so then you knew like, but there was that brief two seconds where you thought there might be, be a shot, but... I mean, justifies. Uh, he's a great horse. Um, it was never in doubt. Um, and honestly, if, if the conditions were better, I mean, he would have won by by a large margin. Yeah, who knows wh what the you know the buyer's speed figure and the distances won by would have been affected mm -hmm. had it not been rainy. Let me explain something. If you're not familiar with how this works, when you you know a horse runs on five weeks rest. So typically, the Kentucky Derby and the Belmont are five weeks apart. There's this little hiccup in the middle called the Preakness, and it's a huge deal. What's going to happen now? A lot of the good horses that we saw run, you know, the audibles of the world, the good magics of the world, the horses that were under 10 to 1, they're not running in the Preakness. They're going to skip the Preakness and go right to the Belmont to keep them on regular rest. Now, Justified has to go through not only win next week in, uh, in Pimlico, but then go to New York and run on short rest when everyone else has not been doing that. That's why the Triple Crown hadn't been hit since 1978 before American Pharaoh. Ira, I know you're huge into horse racing. You think there's a shot for Justify to get the Triple Crown here? Oh, clearly, um, because you just. But the, the Belmont, of course, is going to be the problem. It seems like everyone starts skipping the Preakness and not running the Preakness unless yeah. Justify win that, and they shoot for the Belmont. Now, after the Belmont, he'll be have run twice, and they have extra three weeks, but he'll have mm -hmm. run the Kakadari Preakness. These other horses are going to have four or five weeks of rest, so it's going to be difficult. And also, there are horses now just bred for the Belmont for the long distance. Absolutely, it's a mile and a half. It's a yeah. harder horse. That's why ever, there's been so, American Pharaoh's win was so amazing, first time in 37 years. Uh, I didn't think it was going to happen I, I thought the horse was going to be shot and it really showed me i don't know if it was a weak crop of three-year-olds or just really that horse was so good but obviously the stud fees are showing now that the horse there's obviously something behind it sean you think we have any shots at a triple crown here yeah i mean i think i think justify i think he had a lot to prove you know in, in kentucky pass all the tests um you know with flying colors and especially just the conditions i mean you know there was a lot of questions out we we knew he was the, the favor going in um but at the end of the day you know he, he did what he had to do, you know, and, and to win by two and a half lengths. Never um, really in, in doubt. In those questions. And like I said, it was a no doubter. I mean, as soon as he got out and, and, you know, he got out of the pack and he was, you know, running from, you know, the two spot, um, you know, once he hit that one turn, I mean, he was gone. And like I said, there was two seconds, but, but outside of that, I mean, he had a lot to prove he did it. And, you know, I, I think that he does have a very good chance. Well, it was interesting in the race that, um, promises fulfilled got it, everyone expected to get off yeah. to a fast start so promise and it ran very and justify michael smith is a jockey he's the oldest yeah. jockey in the field and he rightly so went right behind promises fulfilled now baffert said i'm nervous it was too fast the first quarter was much yeah, faster than he wanted to not, run yeah. the pace was way too fast for him but it was better to be in clear of the field not have the mud in your face so justify when he finished the race had no mud around him there was no mud where you look at the other jockeys and the other horses they were filled with mud all over the place i mean mendelssohn was the other one of the top favorites the horse from the UA dubai yeah. who came over if you watched mendelssohn he got bumped on the first time <laughs> then bumped another was a pinball and just uh, just just crowded around the rest of the a, race. a lot of people don't realize the jockeys will wear seven pairs of uh eye protection so they can just throw them right. as, as they get mud in their face there's no time to clean your glasses i'm constantly getting mud in their face and that's another reason why i was somewhat against justify knowing that it's been small fields you're not really getting stuff kicked in your face and mud like that yeah until you're in a 20 horse field uh you know bearing down on you in kentucky it makes it a lot more interesting 715 iron sports 95.9 true oldie channel mike and sean here as well bob Patton joins us in just about 10 minutes gonna be a great interview with him
I already talked about insiders and people that you're hear, you'll hear from on this show that you're not going to get the information from anywhere else. You introduced me to Francis, Francois TFO. And this kid, you said this is the future of American tennis. And we're starting to see glimpses of it, aren't we? Yeah, he was played in a tournament in Portugal, uh, upset the number two seed and the four seed in the tournament and, and lost in the final, so it's on a clay court. What makes him so amazing is he's one of the first American tennis players that can win on clay. He's going to win in the hard courts. Usually they don't. none of the Americans mm. play well on clay at all. He's going to win the French Opens on clay. Wimbledon is on grass. He's such a great athlete. He should be fantastic at Wimbledon. And then the hard courts at the U.S. Open, which he grew up on playing, and he'll be fantastic there. I think he's. this shows we had him on the show. He's excited to go to Europe. Wait, just wait. Just wait. Wait to the end of the summer when he's in the top 10 in the world and people are talking about him. You're like, wow. He's 20 years old, right? He's 20 years old. Yeah, there's a lot of room to grow here for our boy TFO. Is that true, though? Americans have a lot of trouble playing multiple courts. I mean, I know, you know, uh, Nadal's amazing on the clay. You know, Djokovic has his courts that he's good on. Americans struggle with that? Yeah, because they just they tend to grow up on the hard courts. They play yeah. high, college tennis is all on hard courts here. Whereas if you go to Europe, you're not even going to find a hard court. Really? Go, everything is clay. No, everything's yeah. okay. clay. Everything's yeah. clay over there. Yeah. So so it's just it's just by geographic. You know, Americans always playing on the hard court. So that's kind of what you just see. So it's like when you play golf and you go to the other side of the country, you have no idea what the grass feels like. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of kind of in the same thread. Um, let's get into NBA playoffs, guys. We've got two series, or maybe all the series seem to be out of it. But it's still interesting. And like I said, that Boston and Philly game uh, on Saturday night was just phenomenal. Ira, Cavs in Toronto. You've got some interesting takes away from this game, and I know you're not exactly thrilled with how things went uh, between LeBron and maybe DeMar DeRozan. Well, I mean, it's an inter- the Cavs-Toronto series, when it started, Toronto was the number one seed. People thought this was Toronto's they were year. in the game. And I listened to the general manager of Toronto uh, before the season series started, and they said, have you... Have you got your team ready for LeBron? Have you designed the team out? He goes, we don't care about LeBron. We just want to be a good team. And I'm like, you might want to That's think foolish. about LeBron. You're going to have to go. <laughs> You've been knocked out of the playoffs now two years in a row by LeBron. Maybe design your team. Maybe add some players. This over, they, they seemed almost overconfident. Now, in the first game, they were winning that entire game. They were leading it. It looks like, okay, we're finally going to break. The, we're going to have the win against, you know, they've lost five, six straight games to, to the Cavaliers. We're going to win that game. And amazing. I mean, at one point in the fourth quarter, they had missed 15 out of 16 shots and blew their lead. And then it was just the last play. Fi- finally, they used Thompson correctly. That, that Cleveland put Thompson in. And it was very interesting to see when Thompson and LeBron had Valasunas and Anobi, who was guarding LeBron. Mm-hmm. It was like this two-man game, back and forth, back and forth. And LeBron hit the th- shot that sent into overtime. And then, of course, they go and just dominated in overtime and won. And it, but it could have been... But then Toronto had a shot at the end of the game. They might had at the end of the regular relation like five six shots and they missed all of them they were all Crazy. easy layups and Val Sunas missed a couple shots DeRozan missed a shot Lowry missed a shot like everyone had a shot at an easy layup and it was like we cannot break this this <laughs> curse that the Cavaliers have on us uh, Ira do you want to talk you know because I want to hear Sean's opinion on this too because we were talking about this before and you guys are up in arms about how things were handled down the stretch by the Raptors in that game this was not typical did right Ira well that was on Tuesday night's game oh okay so Thursday the Cavs come back and this again in Toronto and won 128 to 110 easy game mm-hmm. LeBron at 43 points 14 assists 8 rebounds Love played great 31 points 11 rebounds they shot 60% just dominating performance by the Cavaliers but then Saturday's game now Toronto's going to Cleveland so yeah. Cleveland won two games and I, I mean, we saw something that we really have never seen I'm tr- racking my brains to see us <laughs> an elite player not playing in the fourth quarter not because of injury just because the coach didn't want him to play I mean DeMar DeRozan the game was won 105-103 by the Cavs on an amazing last second shot by LeBron but DeMar DeRozan he's been averaging 20 points a game for five years he's been nine years the Raptors he's an Olympian four-time all-star he's the start of the last two all-star games and just because he was shooting then the game three for 12 with eight points in 20 minutes uh, their coach decided Dwayne Casey decided to sit him on the bench the entire fourth quarter and I know they were making a comeback and I I know that Toronto was down in the game and coming back, but you do not sit your star. You don't ever see LeBron no. sitting, Kobe sitting. Tom Brady is not going to be taken out of a game. You're not going to take Sidney Crosby out of the game for a bad game. Like There's a point where the, he is such an elite star. You have to have him in the game. And now, going even not the rest of the series, the rest of the time he's in Toronto, he's been known as the superstar who couldn't play in the fourth quarter in the most important quarter of their, their existence. You brought up a good point, too, before we got on the air, that when you're the coach, you have to ride and die by your stars. It, you going in and benching the star and losing the game 
doesn't make you look any better no. as a coach. You might as well ride and die with, with him. Bill Belichick ben- benching Malcolm Butler. It is what it is. Malcolm Butler, good player. He's not Tom Brady. Tom Brady could have murdered somebody in the hotel room eight minutes before the game. He's still playing because you have to go down with your stars. Sean, you were kind of taken aback by this too, but you had a little bit of a theory on why this might have happened. Well, if you look at it normally, right, you know, his normal rest is end of the third, start of the fourth, right? So when he got taken out, it wasn't it wasn't a surprise, right? The surprise was him not getting back in when the game got close. Now, I know they got into a groove. They were down 16 um, with, I think, two minutes left in the third quarter, right? That's when he goes out. He's, you know, he's he's only attempted 12 shots in 28 minutes, not what you want to see from your superstar. I mean, he's minus 23 on the court, so he's not doing any favors for your team yeah. on defense. Um but over the course of those, you know, uh, the next, I think I think they got it to four. They were down four, I think, with like five to play. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, that's when you go back to him. And, and, and also, too, because that's the thing now. You've demoralized him. He's the best player in the team. He's one of the most versatile I, guards in the league. I think he's actually the best shooting guard in the league because the way he plays both, uh, both sides of the court. But at that point, okay, you're, you're down four or five with five minutes left. That's when you put him back in because now it's like he's watching his team, so he's getting you know, jazzed up on the sideline. He he understands as the pro that he is because he is a pro that hey, I'm on the bench right now and we're making a run, right? At the end of the day, he doesn't if he didn't if he didn't go back in that game and they won, this isn't even a conversation, right? It is a conversation, but he's like, hey, you know, I wasn't playing well. I was missing shots. We won the game, and that's what we got to do. I got to be better next game. But now that they lost and they were that close, how do you not put your superstar back in how do you not give him that opportunity because now now that's what you he did put him back for. in that's exactly. what he's getting paid for you take him out of the game now we're going into the next game and what do you say to your superstar hey i know you know we didn't we didn't use you last game but we need you today sport i mean where where do you go as a coach to kind of rebuild that trust uh, between the coach and the player i mean so. they had the, they had fred van fleet in the game yeah. instead of like, <laughs> fred, who? Van, who fred van fleet who? is an undrafted free agent who yeah. shot was shot two for nine once for one for seven from three point line and then they end up losing on LeBron's great shot where he's driving and he throws up the, the crazy 15-foot shot that banks it in, but when he could have actually driven right in and dunked over Anabi. <laughs> but you can see how Toronto's defense, I think Cleveland did something smart there. A lot of teams should do that. Instead of in the NBA, you can call a timeout and advance the ball to midcourt. Yeah. In college, you can't do that. But the Cavs said, let's get the ball in LeBron's hand. There's eight seconds to go. Let him just drive up and let's have him drive up the drive up the court. And as he's dribbling up the court, they first of all, when he got the ball, the worst thing the Raptors, they didn't trap him. They could have trapped him and had him throw it to Kevin Love. Someone, yeah. They just let him. They didn't trap him all. They let him drive up, it, and then he just it was easy for him to you, score you, the two. You'll, ne- you'll never get fired for at the end of the game giving the ball to LeBron, but you never. will get fired for benching DeMar DeRozan at the end of the game when your season's on the line. But, but that's, you know, and I, you know, I think you, um, you feel the same way Sean does, is that this is not, like, now you're going into game four. Yeah. An absolute must win because you're going home. If not, what do you think DeMar DeRozan's thinking right now? It can't be good. Well, they asked, Jalen Rose had a great comment today. He goes, if he was in that situation, he's not the star that DeMar DeRozan was. But Jalen Rose said, I would just put myself in the game. I mean, yeah. there's a point where, <laughs> where it's like if they if, if LeBron was sitting on the bench and Tyron Lue didn't know how to have Tyron, Tyron, LeBron would have just walked Dover, on the court. Yeah, 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 he just would have walked on the court. I'm in the Kobe game. Kobe would have done that. Michael Jordan would have done that. But I even, mean, I even think like Quali Leonard would have done that. Like yeah. I can go through. Diamond Mitchell for Utah did that when they took him out. He was hurt. He was injured yeah. and he came back. Like I, DeRozan, go, DeRozan just looks so deflated, yeah. demoralized. And where do you go forward for the rest of the series for the rest of your team? You, you have oh, you owe him another hundred million dollars for four years. He's your elite player now. It, clearly, one of these players has to go, either DeRozan or Casey. I can't see how this relationship because people are going to be talking about this for now for yeah. five months. It, yeah. It's never going to work out now. Yet they set the, it's a, they open up a Pandora's box of just misery in, in Toronto now by bad coaching choices. And I do think it's going to cost the coach's job. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, seven twenty four. I run sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean were here as well. Time to bring in a very special guest. It's Coach Bob Patton, your two-time World Basketball League champion. He's coached the likes of Tim Legler, Mario Ellie, and also our buddy that we've been talking about all night, Terry Rozier. Uh, Coach Patton, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Tell us a little bit about, you know, we've been talking a lot uh, just recently about the Cavs and Toronto series, but I want to take a step back because we're about to get into the Cel- the Celtics and the Sixers. This guy, Terry Rozier, has really taken over, and he just looks like a player that any team would want around. I mean, I, I would assume that you're thinking the same way about him. Yeah, you know, when, it's funny that when we played, um, he played in my, uh, my AAU team, I think he was a freshman, I'm almost proud they were all freshman team. 
we have. And then you know they, they graduate the sophomore team and so on. But we played the Ohio Red team, who had Solinger and Mary Aaron Craft. They had like seven, eight Division One players. They actually, I think, won the, the national championship, if not won the Final Four. And we played him awful tough, and Terry Rozier kept us in the game. As a, you know, he was only a freshman. Now he was only about maybe five nine, five ten there. <laughs> and everyone kept talking about Aaron Kraft, Aaron Kraft, Aaron Kraft's going to be. And I thought to myself, geez, Rozier's a better player. He shoots it better. He's quicker. He jumps better. You know, you, I don't think they project these guys the right way sometimes when you look at players. You know what I mean? The only thing he needed to do was, was grow a little bit, which he did. So he went from maybe five, and I think he's around 6'2 now. And he had tremendous confidence, which is really good for a player. And plus, he had a good basketball IQ. I think, when I, I know when I was drafting players, the guys I drafted, Freddie Cofield, Mario Eli, but I, the one of the things I made sure was that they have a good basketball IQ. And if they had a good basketball IQ, just watching them play, you know, making the extra pass, uh, doing, doing simple things on the floor, um, th- that was important to me. And I, would, and I would think now when you watch the Celtics play, they're, they're, they're really smart players. Yeah. I mean, and he's done a great, great job with them, you know. But did you, did you see that play the other day? What, what a cardinal sin to not protect the basket with no backside help. <laughs> That's that's like that's like basketball one on one. You just never do that, and and they did it. So instead of getting the ball twenty five feet away from the bucket, he caught the ball and made a layup. Well, I guess, Coach, I'll ask you about that in terms of the Cleveland, I mean, the uh, Toronto, I mean, sorry, uh, the Celtic series, uh, Celtic Sixers. On four, I mean, four inbounds plays, the straight inbounds play, the Sixers were making mistakes. They turned the ball over on two on two of those plays, and on two, the Celtics made amazing plays and got layups for. I mean, we're, I mean, people talk about coaching and everything, but that's one thing that, that Stevens calls a timeout, runs a play, and it works perfectly. Be able to get Embiid outside and not ha- being next to Al Horford and having Al Horford guard by guarding someone six inches under smaller than he is guarding him what goes into these inbound plays and it can't be Stevens can't be just that much smarter than Brett Brown <laughs> yeah well here's what it, here's what it comes down to and I've always said this we used to we used to do all the time in high school college pros no matter where it was I would always spend 10 minutes every single day on special situations so I would say, you know, we're down uh, 101-99. We have the ball on the sideline. We would run a play. And we would do all these uh, special situation plays. Well, I'm sure he does that. And, and, they, and they practice it. So now in the timeout, all he has to say is, remember we ran that a couple times, and here's what we and He reinforces it. So that's what he's doing. He's, he's unbelievable on out-of-bounds plays because you can see they, you cannot, if you never run an out-of-bounds plan, you're going to draw it up in, in three minutes <laughs> with, luck. you know, X's and O's on the, well, I guarantee you all three out of five guys will screw it up. But if you run it in practice a bunch of times and they know about it, they'll execute it pretty well. And you can see his, in his, uh, in his uh, delivery, he's doing that. One of the other big things he's done in the game, I don't know if, if guys pay attention, he's taken Joel Embry and, he, and he's taken him out front. You know, high, so he can't he can't protect the basket. He's like in no man's land out there, so that he can't give any help on drives. So that's that's really hurting the Seventy uh, Sixers having them way out away from the basket. And what do you think about in terms of the overall strategy of the Sixers? I mean, I know that they live and die by threes, but do you really want to see Embiid taking as many three-point shots as he's been taking? I mean, every time, you see every game, he's shooting six or seven three-point shots. And you're right, on offense, he's outside from the basket. And then on defense, he's, he's away from the basket also. He's becoming, he's scoring points, he's getting rebounds, he's getting good statistics, but it's he's not effective where he has to be. And, and the Sixers seem and to just be, game. And, they seem to be <laughs> and they just seem to be settling. I, mean, I almost say as they keep settling for bad shots. I, I think it's a big mistake, and you're right. When you have your seven-footer shooting the ball from that far away, they better not miss any because if they miss them, they're runouts. Those guys can't Good get point. back. Mostly, most of the time your guards are getting back, so if, you're th- if your seven-footer's taking the ball from way on top of the key, he's got to be the first guy back, and he's not going to get back. So th- that's a big mistake. And he's really good around the basket. You know, it's, if I took 20 big guys – and they were all good around the post, and they were all decent outside shooters, and I, and, I put, and I put down on a sheet of paper, what would you rather do? Well, 19 out of 20 of them said they'd rather shoot the ball from their perimeter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard work uh, going block to block. You know what I mean? You get bumped around down there, but to help your team out, that's what you got to do. And I think you're right. I, I don't like him out there personally, and I think that, hey, they may win tonight, 
but they're not going to win the series. And can we just turn to the Cavaliers for just a second, Coach? I know you're from the Ohio area. You're very familiar with the Cavaliers. What 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 do they have? What is the magic that they have, or the curse they have on Toronto? How are they able to now? They look like they're playing, you know, the best of the whole year against the the Raptors. But they've done this now. This is the third year in the row. Well, I think that very first game set the whole tone. They should have won that first game. They lost that first game. You could see in the second game they were – hey, you should have, they should have forgot about that. But they were down at the dumps the second game, and then they had losing the second. And now this, this series is – the best thing that can happen in Toronto is next year. <laughs> <laughs> this series is over. It could be over to the – I would be shocked if they could win the game. They, they, I give them credit. They really played hard the other night. And then LeBron – you know – when you have, there were some teams when I was in the World Basketball League that we, we just absolutely owned. And there were some other teams that always gave us trouble that maybe weren't as talented, and it always worked out in the matchups. And that's the same thing with the NBA. If you get bad matchups in the NBA, you're troubled. I think Toronto has bad matchups with, with Cleveland. And, and Kevin Love's playing like the all-star he, he is. He's Finally. playing really great basketball, so that's really helping him. And then LeBron is just... You know, Tim Ligger said something on ESPN the other day. You know, we've watched Jordan in the past make follow-up. He said he's never seen ever in his entire, in his, in his lifetime, in my lifetime, a guy make so many follow-away jump shots. As, I think LeBron made eight in a row the other night in that game. Yeah. But you're not going to stop that. Forget no. about it. Yeah. Uh, no, it reminds me of uh, Kobe. You know, it was just there was a, a long run for him. He was just unguardable. Uh, Coach, I know your time's uh, precious. You said something to me earlier, though. Talking about, I'm sorry. What I said. I know your time is uh, is important, but you said something earlier, and I, I just want to touch back on that about s- scouting analysis. And you said maybe sometimes you know you were all over Terry Rozier. You liked the intangibles, the basketball IQ. I tend to think that a lot of these scouts are, look past that for the things just oh, height and jumping. I can, I can list three players that played in our league, and and the first one. And I remember talking to Tom Nasalki. He was NBA coach of the year in 1978, and he was coaching the Memphis team, and they had John Starks. And you know <laughs> what type of player John Starks was <laughs> when he went to – and he told me that four or five teams all passed on him because all, all these teams had guaranteed contracts, not for 12 players, but for like 12 – I mean for 13, 14 players. So it was almost impossible for those guys to, to make the team. And that's what's kind of happened with somebody. Oh, look at that guy that, that was in the um, CBA or that, that uh, uh, the, 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 the league, league. The NBA that develops the players that went to L.A. in his first game he had all. Yes. Made like yeah, he was 32 years points. old, yeah. Oh, where, where was he all year? Uh, he was good enough to play on some NBA teams, but no one will pick him up because they, they can't release players. They're in these, these, in these big salary problems with their, with, their, uh, with, their, uh, with their teams, and the teams can't dump them. So guys like, you know, like I said, John Starks was one of those guys. Andre Turner, who played for the 76ers, was mm-hmm. one of those guys. Uh, Mario Eli, who played for me, was one of those guys. It took, it took a rare, rare guy in the summertime, you know, after the season was over, to give these guys a chance. And then once they made the teams, they were pretty doggone good players. And one last question, Coach, is about back to Terry Rozier. I mean, he comes in the league. The first year he plays 39 games, averages a point a game. The second year he averages five points a game, doesn't start. And, but he's, and he backs up Isaiah Thomas. And he's like, well, maybe I might get to play the next year. Maybe I'll get some time. And then they trade Isaiah and bring Kyrie Irving in. So he's going to be a backup. Again, another backup. But suddenly in the last end of the season, Kyrie gets injured. He's thrust into this starting role. And what a performance. I mean, what for any player who's on a team and not starting and their parent, their mom and dad are yelling at the coach, oh, we should play. I mean, he just seemed to be ready to go. I mean, he's averaging 22 points, seven rebounds, six assists. He hasn't had a turnover in 72 minutes <laughs> of basketball crazy. as running the point for Boston. And they're up 3-0, upsetting the Sixers have been favored at every single game. Well, I'll tell you what he's done for himself. He'll make himself a 15 to $20 million player next yeah. year for somebody. Yeah. Somebody sees that, and they're gonna they're gonna pick him up if if the Celtics don't because, but you know he reminds me of the backup point guard for um, uh, Golden State who comes in at for um, uh, he's the third guard I, I can see his face and everything he he's he's that type of player Quinn Cook and he could be very valuable to the Celtics but they could have problems with you know with uh, with, with their salary cap. So uh, if they're under it, you, you know they're going to resign him. If not, he'll be playing with somebody else. But you're right. Uh, guys like that, they come in every single day and work their tail off every single day. Ellie was like that. 
No one wanted him. No one wanted him. And I just kept telling him all the time, just keep plugging away. You're really a good player. Someone's going to take a chance on you. And once they do, perform. And that's what, kind of what Terry Rozier has done. Coach Patton, I want to thank you so much for stopping by Iron Sports. This is a great interview. I love people that tell it like it is, and you surely do. And you're always welcome here on Iron Sports. Okay, well, thank you very much. Talk Pre- to you later. Appreciate your time. 735-959, True Oldies Channel, Ira, Mike, and Sean. I love interviews like that because he's telling the truth. You know, and it's hard to sometimes get a coach to admit to some of these things. He sees potential in these guys that legitimately may not make the league because it's just overfilled with talent, and all they need is that one break. And behind Isaiah Thomas, he didn't have that chance, Ira. Now you get to see Terry Rozier on the grand scale, and Coach is right. He's going to be a $15 million player going forward because somebody's going to want him. Um, do you want to hop right into our questions about NBA? You want to talk a little more Celtics and Sixers? Let's do a little Celtics and Sixers. I, I want to just – because I want to go right now. Of course, the, the Sixers are up by eight. But the fact is that this is the series that I was interested in because I felt that the Heat were going to – I thought the Sixers were a little immature for the playoff. The pressure would get to I them. I thought the Heat would have given them a better run. And I felt the Heat were going to put that pressure. And the Sixers seemed to respond. I'm like, okay, they yeah. responded well but they have not responded well against the pressure the Celtics are doing uh, Ben <coughs> Simmons who's going to be win the rookie of the year has had a horrendous one point like, two games. I have never seen a player in 31 minutes in the Thursday night game he was 0 for 4 with one point and five turnovers he is a minus yeah. 55 going into this yeah. game that means they, they have for the whole series he's on three games when he's on the floor they're 55 points worse than the Celtics and we could talk about you know we, we brought up by, um, we, we brought up Embiid you know shooting three balls I mean but he's, he's He's done that. We talked about Rogier and how he stepped up. What we're not talking about is the game plan to to stop Ben Simmons. And what is that? He is wide open, and the Celtics are forcing him shoot. to shoot. Shoot the ball. And guess what? He's not a shooter yet. I mean, he's just <laughs> not. I mean, you could go back to even LeBron's early days. He couldn't shoot a 15, like a mid-range jump shot to save his life. Where was he impactful? Driving lane, either taking it to the rack or, or, or making a pass. What is Ben Simmons right now in his career? He's a guy that can drive the lane, find the open guy, or take it to the rack, you know, and, and put it home. He can't shoot, and that's what Brad Stevens done. I mean, he's literally, it, they're leaving him wide open. And, and that is what the difference is. So we can look at all these different things. Yeah, Rogier stepped up. You know, Embiid should he be playing with his back to the basket more and 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 banging in the paint? Yeah, we could say that. But but we already know the Sixers are gonna. The Sixers won how many games without Embiid? You know, when he got hurt, they, I mean, they, they won like nine in a row. I think they won yeah. fourteen out of sixteen or something was the run. I mean, so they that that team does not revolve around Embiid. That team lives and dies with Ben Simmons, as do the Cavs, as do you know other teams um, with their superstar players. And when you have the Celtics playing, they've, they've been, he's exposed. I mean, he's been exposed. This is how you guard Ben Simmons. You don't guard him. If he drives, <laughs> put two to three bodies on him, you know, and, and crash him. But but that's that's what's happening, and you're seeing it. And he's he's not shooting the ball. I mean, he's giving it up wide open where he should be taking that shot, but he has no confidence in his jump shot right now. And that's the difference. And he, then and then also, I mean, at the end of the game, they're they're and we mentioned it with Coach Patton, the inbounds play. The Celtics tried to uh, the Celtics ran two inbound plays to to take the lead and to tie. That were perfect inbound. Plays. One of them is they said because the Sixers like to switch, so whatever man you're guarding, you switch. So when they switch the defenders, Covington yeah. suddenly uh, Embiid is out all the way uh, yeah. at, 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 against Crowder at the top of the key, and Covington is guarding yeah. uh, Horford, which is who's six inches tall, taller than he is. It was an easy play for Horford to make. Yeah. And then when Horford the Sixers, good, and that was drawn up by Brad Stevens. I just want to let you guys know that, that like literally because Horford said it after the game, he's like, we thought he was crazy, but because he did, Stevens has done so much uh, film study that he knew that the Sixers are going to switch so when you watch that play um, the wing comes around and 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 you see the switch and that's when uh, Horford got body position and they just put it up and over yeah. Horford said it when they were sitting there they thought they were going to have to call a timeout there because they nobody in the huddle thought it was going to work he's like run the play there you go just run the and play then when and, the, it and when the Sixers in bad the one play that Simmons had in overtime where they have the lead he has the ball and he oh. throws a one handed pass it was like you're playing in a summer league game <laughs> yeah. and it's like at 11 o'clock <laughs> yeah. at night I, I just the, the last Lack of focus, the lack, and this is everything. Again, I wish the Heat had taken advantage of it, yeah. but we it, can move to the next series. It, no, no, we, we totally will. There's a lot more I want to talk about here on Iron Sports, you know, as we get into it. Um, but just just a couple of questions before we do this. Ira, we're big Heat fans around here. Maybe not, it's not our favorite team, but we support the Miami Heat. This team is in a little bit of, for lack of a better word, hell with some of the contracts that they're stuck with. 
you think there may be a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel here based off some moves that happened in Phoenix. Well, the Phoenix hired a coach uh, as the first foreign-born coach. There's been coaches who coached in Europe, coach foreign, but actually foreign-born coach. And he's from Serbia. And he coached last year Luka Donik, who's the, the maybe the number two pick in the draft coming mm. up. And he coached Goran Dragic. They coached the Slovenian team, and they won the Euro Championships last year in a humongous upset. They were like a 100-to-1 favorite, almost like Vegas yep. Golden Knights mm -hmm. to win. And he's viewed as this genius coach. And he used to be an assistant at Phoenix coaching under Dragic when Dragic played so great. Now, remember, the the Heat gave up all these number one picks to get Dragic in the first place. Yeah. But I'm thinking now he's the coach at Phoenix, and it was a surprise choice to have him, but but they, they're very confident that he's this is going to work because he's going to work with the young players and the foreign players. But maybe he wants to bring Dragic back to Phoenix to mentor the young players on that team and take that contract. And maybe and that's the one trade. Maybe he gets something back young. But short of that, it's that we talked about Whiteside. There's no, I don't see a move on Whiteside at all. No. Shawnee, can you envision a package? Listen, no. if... <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're going to do that deal, if you want Dragic, you got to take Whiteside too. Well, and granted, we're going to have to take money back from them. They're not just going to take on $45 million. Well, well, that's what Riles will do. you know, And he's, and he's going to look at it, right? And he'll look at players on, on the Suns and he'll be like, all right, you know, we'll take you know Tyson Chandler. But even though still, I mean, you're looking at players that make a ton of money, but those are expiring contracts that the Suns would give up, right? You know, so so I the Suns could take on those contracts. But when you watch that team play basketball, I mean – Hassan Whiteside's a ball stopper. I mean, that's what he is. I mean, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't yeah. do much well. You know, he plays defense well, but that's when he wants to play. You know, I think that if they made that trade, he would be rejuvenated. He's pretty much been dejected. Um, there is no faith from the coach. There's no faith from, you know, uh, Pat Riley. We've seen the comments come out that he's out of shape and, you know, he, he needs to perform better, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, you look at that team. And I mean, Hassan Whiteside, $25 million. Tyler Johnson makes $20 million a year. Yeah. Drogic makes eighteen. Now, yeah, Drogic's worth it. A guy like James Johnson, $14 million. Even Deion Waiters at $13 million. I know these are kind of going rates, but, you know, when, when you got, you know, that much money invested in marginal players. I mean, Hassan Whiteside, I know he came on the scene. It was he was like a double-double machine. It was almost 20 and 20, like some nights. But it's it's that NBA doesn't exist anymore. And, and they should have learned just by looking at the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers had a bunch of talent. And I, I felt like uh, Deion. Andre Jordan almost held him back because they had to feed him the ball, you know, and, and you're limited when, no, when you're you right. can't stretch the floor. If you if you guys have guys like Griffin and you got um, Chris Paul, guys that like to drive the lane, and then you have this guy that can't go out and make a shot, I mean, you're really doing a disservice to your offense. And when you look at the Suns, I mean, I just don't know what they would do. can't the ball back out either. That's the point. Yeah. You know, the ball he, dies he's, with you. he's very, that's what I mean. He's the ball stopper. He gets the ball. He's not a good passer. Um, he's limited even on the offensive uh, uh, side of the ball. I mean, you've seen him beat embarrass him, um, you know. You know, he, he's just – and for $25 million, Ira brings up a good point. I mean, there's, where where is he going to go? Nobody wants him. No, nobody wants him. He's nobody wants him in this NBA anymore, deal. So. You, you want our player. You want Dragic. But, but that's the take point. No, no, and that's what Riley's going to say, but nobody's going to say that. They're like, hey, we'll deal with Dragic, but and, – and, and I'm sure Riley would even be happy to do that because they need to hit a reset. I mean, they, they, they can make the playoffs every single year because they have enough talent. They don't have, a ta they don't have the talent to win an NBA championship. Ira, last question in NBA before we get into the NFL draft. You think there's a coaching job that in the next few years is going to be the most sought after in all of the NBA, maybe even you know in sports, especially among smaller markets? You want to tell us about it? Well, I just think the Milwaukee job, if you look uh. at four years ago, um, uh, four years ago, the Warriors, they lost in seven games to the Clippers. In that game, in game six, they lost in the first round. Uh, Draymond Green played 24 points. Andre Gala, 14 points. Steph Curry, 33 points. Thompson, 15 points. And, and, and they lost. And that was mm -hmm. in their team. They won 51 games and they were a nice team. But no one said, oh boy, the Warriors are going to go to four straight they're gonna NBA finals. They're going to win 73 games And they're going to win 73 yeah. games. They're going to be amazing. <laughs> they made a coaching change. They, they, they fired Mark Jackson. It was a controversial move to fire Jackson. Like, wow, he won 50 games in you're firing him and he says this great young team and then they brought in Steve Kerr and look what's happened and I think Milwaukee with uh, Tempko and Middleton and Parker and Thon Maker and all these good young players plus a very their ownership is one of the wealthiest in the entire NBA mm. they're going to a brand new arena I know it's Milwaukee not maybe the sexiest city even though Aaron Rodgers now owns part of the team but I think that there that's a, that's a spot that I would definitely it w I think that's a chance that any coach should want that job yeah. Sean what about you is there a team outside of the box or even the box that you could see, man, in two or three years, this is going to be the, the hot team to want. 
Well, no, I mean it's it's definitely the Bucks. I mean, uh, the Greek Freak is 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 the second coming of you know uh, of LeBron on on steroids. I mean, just because the way he plays, the way he changes the game, his handles, he can drive. He plays amazing defense. Um, you know, maybe his basketball IQ isn't that of LeBron because he didn't learn playing the game with the ball in his hands like LeBron has had since, you know, he was a young kid. Um, so so even you've seen uh, Giannis take that turn, uh, almost running that power for, forward point that we saw Kevin Garnett run um, in Minnesota back in, you know, his MVP-like MVP days. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, even when you look at this team, right, you have Giannis making 20, 22 and a half million a year. Okay, the next highest is, is Eric Bledsoe at fourteen and a half. I mean, he's a great point guard. You got guys like Brogdon, who who won Rookie of the Year at you know one million. Um, you know, uh, John Henson making you know ten million. Brandon Jennings they brought on, who's who showed a little bit of life at the end of the year. Thon Maker making mm -hmm. two million. Middleton even makes fourteen million. They have a lot of guys. Jabari Parker at at seven. Now he's due for a pay raise, but you don't have like where we look at the Heat. I'm looking at this team, and they have it's way more nothing. talent. And 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 there was four or five players on the Heat that are making over. 15 million. I mean, there's only one guy in the Bucks, and I would take the Bucks roster every day of the week over the Heat. So they're really positioned with the youth that they have and the cap space that they'll have um, to really grow as a team. And as you're starting to see, where's Toronto going? I mean, they're only getting older. They haven't gotten over the hump. You got young, exciting teams in the Pacers, the Sixers, and the Bucks. And I really think that, you know, Milwaukee's not a destination, but you might start to see as they grow, kind of like what we saw with, with uh, Golden State, getting Andre Iguodala was huge. I mean, mm -hmm. getting a guy that's a, a proven vet that could mesh with those young guys, teach them how to do it, show them how to be a pro, and, and be that glue guy. I mean, that's what we could see with the Bucks roster over time. I mean, I'd want to join. It's funny that you guys, you know, nobody brought up and you talk about destinations the least popular destination in all of sports has to be utah yeah nobody wants to play in utah for the jazz or e even just in that vicinity in any sport um i like the jazz as a team i like good young fun right. teams ira this rockets jazz series got a little bit out of hand but i'd love to see the jazz next year what's out of hand because ricky rubio with a point guard for the jazz is injured. Miss, yeah they fave derek favors their forward has been injured uh dante x and the backup point guard is now hurt um quinn snyder every brad stevens rightfully so has been said what a great coach he's what amazing coach he is quinn snyder is doing a remarkable job they beat oh, oklahoma with city talent. with less talent they beat oklahoma city they actually took a game in Houston from Houston when Amazing. it just showed that both Houston and Golden State have dropped a game which says that if they don't want to come and play and don't try they could lose and I thought that was a great win now I totally expect Houston Houston's won the other three games by over yeah. 20 points and blow them out and what's interesting with Houston right now is that Chris Paul has definitely made a major difference on this team right. giving yeah, Harden yeah. a chance to rest Harden last year got very tired in the in the Spurs series and he was and he was and you saw him wearing down but there's times in these games where Paul's just running the point and Harden's just standing in the corner Yep. And then Harden takes it and does the same thing. And then you have Ad Capella. Those three people, Capella, who's the big forward, who runs the floor. He never played basketball in college. But which he is crazy. Which is, yeah. And he aver last year he played 25 minutes, and now he's up to like 33 minutes. And he's and he's outplaying Gobert. He had seven blocks the last game, blocking <laughs> a seven-foot-two center. He's playing great, uh, Paul and Harden. That's what makes Houston go. It, it's phenomenal to watch, and I can't wait to see this Western Conference evolve. You know, over the next couple of years. And now Chris Paul and Harden together for another season. It's going to be interesting. 748 Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Let's try to fly through this NFL uh, deal. We decided we were just going to take two of our favorite teams. I'm a big New York guy. I'll take the Giants. I'll take the Jets. Sean likes front runners. He likes to take the Cowboys and the yeah, Patriots. We haven't won a Super Bowl since 95. <laughs> I was a front runner when I was eight years old. Oh, my God. Iris a big homer. He's a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Big Dolphins fan. Ira, we'll start with the Steelers. Um... There's a little bit of controversy today. Uh, oh. People are talking about Big Ben not so happy with Mason Rudolph being drafted. How do you like the Steelers draft? I think it's it's great when people talk about the Steelers because I, for years, have been a huge Steelers fan, and I know so many people follow the Steelers, and then you watch national media, and nobody talks about the Steelers. Steelers yeah. And now, suddenly, they're talking about Antonio Brown and Levy and Controversy Bell and Ben, <laughs> and I love this. I love that I actually can watch national news and people talk about the Steelers. But it's very interesting because they drafted Mason Rudolph in the third round, and it 
and the one the interesting thing about Rudolph is he threw for 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 65 percent. Another guy in the same conference threw for 4,300 yards, 41 touchdowns, five interceptions, 71 percent. That's Baker Mayfield. So they and they were against the same competition. <laughs> same so the teams Big 12, they play, they play yeah. the same teams. One went with the first pick in the draft, and Rudolph went with the in the fourth in the in the third round. Yeah, the 150th. And, pick. and the interesting thing is that Rudolph is 6'5", 235, and Ben Rosenberger is 6'5", 235. And no one is expecting that Mason Rudolph is going to take Ben's job. And oh. Ben, though, made this comment that I don't know why we wasted a pick on him, but because Ben, but Ben has been saying he's going to retire. I thought he was going to retire this year. It's, yeah. Every year, the guy says he's going to retire. If you're running, if you're the Roonies, how do you not want to have backup quarterbacks coming up behind him? And they've, and they've had problems in the past in getting veterans. You can see what the Dolphins are struggling with. There's not a lot of good veteran backups. There's Brock not Osweiler a, just got a contract. Right, from the Dolphins, yeah. and that's their backup. And they think that Mason Rudolph would be a great backup, and Ben is, yeah. could miss two games and four games. And way yeah. the Steelers are, are you know, orchestrating, yeah. they have to score points. They have to have a quarterback. It's a very that's good point. Score. You got to score thirty points a game, and you're going to have all these weapons. They're not going to just run the ball forty no. times a game. They're not going to be conservative. You have Juju Smith's sister. You have Antonio Brown. You have Le'Veon Bell. You need to score, and they're hoping that Mason Rudolph can catch on quickly, and yeah. I think step in there and, and run a fast offense. And I know Ben's upset about it. I know he's concerned yeah. and about, but. He, <laughs> they need. He's going to miss and, a couple games, and the Steelers need to get you, win those you, games. You bring up a good point, though, and, and he always gets hurt in December. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. He gets he hurt at the, miss, the most inopportune yeah. time, and yeah. they don't have somebody to step in and win it for him. Sean. Yeah, no, and I think it's funny because they say waste to pick. I mean, they traded a guy in in um, Martavius Bryant, who they benched pretty much for all year, and that pick, the third round pick, turned into Mason Rudolph. So it was a pick that they didn't even have. They traded yeah. a guy they weren't even going to play, um, and they drafted his replacement in the second round in James Washington. I know there's a lot, um, you know, but but I, I do like that pick. I mean, that fills the void right there, Martavius Bryant, a guy that could stretch the field. Um, oh, by the way, happened to be Mason uh, Rudolph's number one wide receiver at Oklahoma State. So you pair those guys back up together. Um, just kind of kind of sneaky there. I I, like I can't be mad about the pick at all, Ira, because this guy was potentially going in the top fifteen picks. Oh, he should have no. He should have been drafted. He he wasn't a first round talent. I'll, I'll tell you. That, I don't think right? so either. But the the, the it, offense the, the market dictated him. it. But yet again, he should have been picked in the second round. But but there was a lot of defensive players, and because so many quarterbacks went early, and teams that were desperate for quarterbacks took them in the first round, got the quarterbacks whether they wanted them or not. But um, but but they did get their quarterbacks. It's it, it wasn't a surprise that he fell to the third. But he is definitely a second round pick talent if not end of the first and everyone's on Ben's case though they're oh, all making course. fun of him but Joe Flacco when they drafted Lamar Jackson Baltimore and Joe Flacco is like well I'm not going to uh, tutor Lamar Jackson but even Mason Rudolph Flacco's made a comment a <laughs> Mason Rudolph said he go, Mason Rudolph goes it's my it's a my responsibility to learn to play, play, play playbook it's my responsibility to become a better quarterback it's not Ben's Ben said oh he doesn't need my help well I don't think he was saying he doesn't need help he's saying You're it's right. my responsibility everyone says that Mason Rudolph is a very high character guy very very nice person yeah. comes from which we amazing. can't say about Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> oh, sometimes. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, bring, I, think, I think it's a way overblown story, but I love the fact that the national media has been talking about. You, it. No, you bring up a good point, though. You know, if you get drafted by the Browns, there is no mentor. You get drafted by the Browns. Well, here you go. Figure it out yourself, buddy. That's all Mason Rudolph was saying. I can figure this out. It'd be great if Ben would help me. And then also they said, I heard people kept saying, (laughs) they go, this is a sign to Ben from the Steelers front office. No, it's not a sign. The Steelers fired their offensive coordinator, Todd Haley, (laughs) because he didn't get along with Ben and they hired Randy Fickner, who is Ben's best buddy, to run their (laughs) offense. So clearly they're going in with all Ben. The one guy who's so happy this story came out is the first round pick of the Steelers, and that's uh, Terrell Edmonds, because people were talking that he might have been the biggest reach actually in the first round. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the safety out of Virginia Tech. Tech, uh, me and you know, me and I were talking earlier. He's kind of in that Troy Palomalo mold. I don't think he has the ball skills on the on the back half, but bringing the safety up, playing him in. Obviously, they got to replace uh, Shazier. I don't think he's big enough to play linebacker. But the way we've seen it, the way the NFL Everyone is now spreading it out, quicker defense. He's now. that dime safety, that nickel safety that can come up, play a tight end. He's he's got he's fast enough to cover uh, those types of guys. So, but but yet again, I mean, I, we we thought it was a tremendous reach. But if I'm him, because at first. 
first, after the first round, I mean, there, there was a bunch of news on that. You know, two days later, Ben comes out and says that about Mason Rudolph. And, you know, I'm sure T Terrell Edmonds is sending him some flowers saying, thanks, man, for getting well, the Mel media get off my back. Mel Kuyper had Edmonds rank as the eighth-ranked safety, and the Steelers dropped him with the 28th pick. Um, it's interesting, though. His measurables were very close to Shazier. He's only yeah. 20, he's 20 pounds lighter than Shazier, so you expect maybe the, the Steelers will play sort of uh, faster, quicker uh, guys running mm. around the field. Um, the defense certainly didn't work last year, so any improvements would be better. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, I hate going back to the, these Mel Kuyper and McShay numbers because these guys are very rarely right. Yeah, they may have. That's is what your bill uh, big board means. It doesn't matter. Jerry Reese uh, for years was trying to make a career off. This is my guy. I'm taking him here. He was wrong on all of his. Picks. Eric Flowers. But <laughs> yeah, he was wrong on every single one. However. Pittsburgh Steelers have a great reputation of drafting yeah. the right guys. Yeah. So you have to trust their front office in situations yeah. like that. He's a great character guy, and that's what that's what I was talking to Ira. I mean, his dad was a pro. His brother just got drafted in the first round at, at pick 19, I believe, to the Buffalo Bills. He's the freak athlete um, who's a, who's only 19 years old. I mean, he'll be he'll be 20 years old when he plays his first NFL game. And um, But but just coming from that, I, I said to Ira, I said, the one thing that you know what you're getting with this kid, whether you reached or not, um, you're getting a pro. He'll be in the league. He's not going to get in trouble off the field he's going to do all the right things and and it fits that Steelers mold I mean that's the kind of guys that they look for so you know only time can tell we won't know for two to three years whether these are bust or or or, or hits so well, um, well usually when the Giants draft a guy you can tell he's a bust right like literally he walks <laughs> up to the podium um <laughs> you know let's get to the Cowboys the Giants the Patriots the Jets next week we're so we're always out of time here on Iron Sports <laughs> let's get to the Dolphins though we love Miami here and this is the, the kind of team where I'm never rooting against the Miami Dolphins, and I know a lot of people do. I like the Dolphins. I want them to be good. I want them to be in the playoffs so I can see playoff football here, you know, in the wintertime. Ira, how do you think the Dolphins did, uh, you know, in their 2018 NFL draft? I, it's amazing. The whole, their whole season rests on something they didn't do in the draft is whether Ryan Tannehill stays healthy and how well he plays because they were one of the teams that you looked at and say, boy, they might want a quarterback. They're going to go get a quarterback. They I, thought, I thought there was a chance. They did not get a quarterback. They're, and they have no backups. Brock Osweiler, Bryce Petty, There's they have no backups for it. Matt Moore was a very good backup for him before, but last year the color experiments didn't work out too well. Um, Gase, yeah, he, they, he screwed they, that up. They definitely yeah. they did not go for a quarterback at all. And I think that's going to be a major chance. But the draft pick of Micah Fitzpatrick from Alabama, we talked about him three weeks ago, uh, from, is, a, is secondary, plays corners, plays safety, can really and do And they've everything. had an awful secondary for a long time. And it's somebody that was running the Alabama. If you think about Alabama and the great defense Alabama had, he's been running that defense for three years or the last two years, calling, the, being, and when Nick Saban said he's probably the best, when you hear what Nick Saban says, he's probably the best player I've ever coached at Alabama in terms of what he likes. It's someone who you really, the type of character, the type of person that you're going to want the biggest winner on day one in the NFL draft, clearly for me, was the Dolphins. Minka Fitzpatrick could have went top five. They got him at pick 10 overall. I love that pick. The last safety to come out of Alabama, a guy named Landon Collins. He's okay. He plays for the Giants. This He's the new Jalen Ramsey, I feel like. Obviously, FSU. But this is you need these impact guys. I mean, you look at the Jacksonville defense and what they do. The Dolphins haven't had that in forever. Even when they had Sue, they weren't a good run-stopping team. Do something good. And their secondary has been a mess since I've been here for a decade. The second round pick, Jacecki, they've been looking for a tight end that entire decade, too. Well, I think Jacecki, and as I said, I've watched for, for being a Penn, Penn State, State fan. Yeah. We talked about him again. We had Neil Rudell on the show about a month ago, mm -hmm. who, and when the combine, he set all record, all time records. Jacecki is someone they said, well, he doesn't block as well. They don't need their tight end to block. Yeah. They need him to catch. What's so great about him is he's big and strong. He jumps higher than anybody else, and he runs faster than anybody. And the people who are going to be guarding him are going to be linebackers. 250 so pound linebackers. Who's going to be running four sevens, four eights. Jacecki runs like four four. So after 40 yards, he's going to, even though he's big five yards ahead of the field, he's going to be wide open. He's going to catch the ball and score tons of touchdowns. Plus, he can catch – now they, they can catch the, the short passes and the long passes. He's going to be impossible to cover, and I think it's going to be – they got rid of Jarvis Landry, so they need a, 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 someone to catch the ball. Yeah. He might lead the team in receptions next I year. would not yeah. be surprised at all. You know, and it's well, funny. No, no, I, think, I think that's Amendola, and I think they're expecting Devontae Parker to, to pick up. He I just to. I just want to chime in on go, this go. because I think Minka Fitzpatrick is a great pick. Um, to pair him with Rashad Jones – I mean, Rashad Jones is, the, is one of the best safeties in the league. He had 144, 124 tackles last year. I mean, he is an absolute 
monster. So to pair him with Minka Fitzpatrick, I think that's a great pick. But outside of this, I'm looking at this. Yeah, Gasecki's a good tight end. I mean, uh, Jerome Baker, I thought, you know, he's an athlete, but I, I didn't really think he stood out too much at Ohio State. Then they draft another tight end uh, in the fourth round. Uh, they get the kid, uh, Kalen Balage, uh, the running back from Arizona State, who's kind of a do-it-all guy, but literally has no... I mean, barely any touches last year. I think he only touched the ball something like 30 times. Uh, a D-back from a small school, Southern Miss. Um, linebacker from Ohio. Um, and a kicker. But but what are their biggest needs? I mean, you don't draft offensive line. I, I thought as a whole, I thought the Miami Dolphins draft was, was one of the worst. I mean, you're not addressing any of your major needs. You don't fill the D tackle spot. You don't. Um, That's the, you don't, the gazing. You don't, you don't, you don't, yeah, I mean, you don't. You don't fill. Um, you don't go out and you don't fill your your linebacker needs. I mean, you wait uh, to the sixth round to draft a corner. I mean, the the Fitzpatrick pick, even still, like I mean, there were so many other avenues that could have went. He it, was just the best value on like the board at Tunsil, the time. Tunsil last year, but that's what I'm saying. Just happened go, to be the best you, you let go. You let go of um, Pouncey. I mean, the offensive line is disseminated. You're going to bring a guy back now who has two knee surgeries or two knee injuries. I think he only had one surgery um, because he decided to elect not to get it the first time he hurt his knee. Um, and what are you going to do? I mean, th- th- if the Dolphins aren't one of the the five worst teams in the NFL next year, I will be surprised. Uh, I will be absolutely surprised you, if they're not if you, they're not in the bottom five. You lost the best defensive tackle in the league. You lost a top five center. You lost a, maybe the best possession receiver in the league. No, easy. Anybody who thinks that they're going to be a better team next year, I mean, is I'm looking at this draft. Mistaken. It's like even when you see these these names, I'm like, you know, like like I said, the Balage pick. It's like a lot of upside, but no production. Now, I'm not a big like you got to be a huge production guy in college because it's it just comes down to opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are five star. Uh, uh, um, prospects at Alabama, but they can't see the field till they're a junior. They have one great year and they leave. It's like, well, they've been playing against NFL talent since they were freshmen, you know. So I don't really care about that. But I mean, that's probably the sexiest pick outside of Fitzpatrick. And like I said, that they have two safeties already, you know. So it's now it's just kind of put them where we think we are. And I know that's where we're going to. It's 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 all nickel base uh, defense, and I'm sure we'll see a ton of that. They're going to put play them at corner. They'll play them at free safety. They'll put them in the box. They'll blitz them. They'll do a ton of stuff. But everything else, I mean. It's one of it those just things, doesn't Sean, make sense. It's one of those things, Sean, to me, when your team's in that much disarray, oh my it's God. like we're just going to grab players. Who's the best guy? And they've been doing that forever and not But even still, the 10th pick in the second round, I mean, the Cowboys got Connor Williams. I mean, uh, Gusecki got picked over Dallas Godart. I mean, he he was he. I mean, he was a super. I mean, he's a stud now. Granted, I know he didn't play at Penn State. He played, I think, at uh, San Diego State or wherever he played, New Mexico State. But but yet again, I mean, with the tenth pick in the second round, you take Gasecki over. Uh, uh, like and then draft another tight end. I mean, two he's, the, he's later. the number one. He was the number one. Well, number two guard. I think he was like the number two tackle prospect. But what do they need? Versatility across the line. He could have played tackle or guard. We get him. What ten picks later, and you're taking a tight end. That's the Dolphins' biggest need with the round two pick. Come on. Eight oh one. I run sports ninety five nine true all these channel we always go over we're going to do that today <laughs> B- baseball we got to touch on it albert pujols there was a period in his life guys where i was looking at it if this guy does this yeah. for five more years oh he's God. the best hitter i've ever seen like personally physically ever seen miguel cabrera's right up there yep. but pujols just was so untouchable for so long got three thousand hits now ira what do you think is the legacy of Albert Pujols. Well, I love baseball's fun because in the middle of the season, you can, and you don't have to actually be a Cardinal fan or an Angel fan, but you just like to watch great players. players. And because numbers matter in this sport more than any yeah, other yeah. sport. Yeah, not even close. And oh I yeah. stayed up late the night before when he was against Baltimore and it was waiting for him with the hits and he's up and you hate the last thing is he got hit by a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to wait and you're switching the channels and you're turning back. And I'm someone who followed Mark McGuire around and saw him and saw the whole in St. Louis when he had six and 62 in his home run. So I was, I did not want to miss, miss his going. He missed it one night, but then he, against the Seattle, he was able to get it. But no, Pujols is absolutely his career when you look at his numbers in the steroid age when he has there's been no accusations to him that he has it he has 620 home runs he's he's at the pace to get 700 behind bonds Aaron, and ruth he has 1938 rbis he's going to pass musual 
Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Barry Bonds this year. He's going to get 2,000 only between A-Rod and Hank Aaron. He might finish with 3,500 hits only behind Rose, Carib, Rose Cobb, and Hank Aaron. I mean, unbelievable. This We're looking at the greatest one of – I mean, when you talk about Hall of Fame, he's, he's on the tippy top, whatever rube that is for the special. He should be unanimous. He was a great defensive first baseman. He played for 11 years for the Cardinals. He's seven now, mostly as a DH. But, uh, I mean, he left to St. Louis. And that, but what's going to be fun about Albert Pools is that the Angels are now good. And yeah. people are interested. They have Otani, and they have Mike Trout, and their pitching staff has improved. And now people are going to pay attention to them. Yeah. And maybe this is going to regime. He has three more years of his contract left at thirty million dollars a year. So he like ain't a going anywhere. He's going anywhere. So he's going to play, <laughs> and he's probably going to play three more years. And it's just fun to watch these records and yeah. see and say, "Wow!" I mean, you're, when you're starting to talk about Ruth and Aaron, he's at that level. It, I, I wish that they had never left St. Louis. Yeah. I love that when a guy stays there. And obviously, his career took a downturn. Imagine where his numbers would be at if he stayed at Bush. Yeah. No, of course. I, I think, though, Ira brings up a great point because you're not his age, right? I mean, he's like 38, and that's if he's actually telling the truth. I know that was a big controversy. <laughs> but but, but no, all jokes aside, I mean, he's 38. He's surrounded by the best player in baseball. He's surrounded by this this phenom from overseas who's pitching and hitting. I mean, who's and, and it's it's rejuvenating him. I mean, it's like he's having fun. You know, you can see, especially, too, as he hits these milestones. You know, we, we saw with, you know, with Jeter win certain things, and, and it's like they kind of might press – but because he's in a clubhouse with those young guys that are always having fun, always smiles on their face, I feel like it's going to be it's going to extend his career. You know, is are we going to get back to the days he's hitting over 300 and you know smacking 50 home runs? No, that that's long gone. But if we can get you know uh, you know 250, 275 out of him, you know, and 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 clutch hits, um, I, I think that it's still going to be exciting to watch. Um, you know, Albert Pujols. So. It, isn't baseball Living one of those legend. funny sports where it's cute when you see these old guys with the young kids? Yeah, and the young kids are getting them excited. Excited. Yeah, this guy's course, bald. Yeah. He's yeah. been doing this 20 years. He just wants to get get to the locker room. And then, you know, the 20-year-old kid hits a walk-off home run. And next thing you know, this guy's dancing out on the on the sidelines. Yeah. You don't see that in every sport. And, then, you know, watching Yarmir Yager in the tail end of his career playing with this awesome young Florida team that got him this 43-year-old man excited. Oh, of course, yeah. it, it, it's what sports are all about. And that's what we talk about here on Ira on Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Sean, you did make an error earlier. Best player in baseball's uh, place shortstop for the Yankees, Didi Gregorius. Yeah. Um, so, Best team in baseball. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Best team in baseball, too. Ira, where are you headed? Let's see how the playoffs. I, I want to see how the playoffs work out, and we're going to talk about golf next week yeah. because this week Tiger was in the Wells Fargo. He did not really. He made the cut. Didn't have really have a good, but he broke out new irons. He had one really good round on Saturday and a bad round on Sunday. But everyone talks about this Players Championship at, near Jacksonville as the fifth major. Um, very interesting. He's paired with Ricky Fowler and Phil Mickelson. So yes. for the first rounds, so I might run up to see one of those rounds. Uh, I was going to try to make it myself if I could get up to Jackson to Ponte Vedra. Beach to take in uh, to take in that the other group is Justin Thomas Spieth and uh, Rory. I mean, they're really stacking Thursday for us up in uh, at Ponte Vedra Beach at the Players' Championship. We are out of time, though. I do want to thank uh, Coach Bob Patton for stopping by. Sean as well. Ira, appreciate it. We'll catch up next week. This is Ira on Sports. We'll see you next Monday night on the True Oldies Channel.